in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, hello. Uh, September 1st, Greg Kelly, and I am not in New York. I'm in Florida. Uh, not at our channel, but I've seen other channels, other stations. They, when their host goes away, uh, particularly Morning Mika and Joe Scarborough, they try to pretend they're in Washington. They try to pretend they're in New York. No, uh, when Rudy and I come down to Florida, uh, separately, I just made it sound like we're a couple. Um, you know, we, uh, we tell you where we are and I am in the beautiful Palm Beach area. Uh, this place is paradise. I tell you, now look, I haven't seen all that much. All right. I got in the, Cab uh, from the airport actually took a cab, not an Uber. And uh, so what have I seen? Uh, not all that much. Here I am. And uh, however, you know, what they say about Florida, I think they're onto something. I also don't think it's Ron DeSantis is doing. Florida has been like this for a a very long time, a, a bastion, a very special bastion. Um, and the flight, you know, people people love to complain, right? I mean, even when it's delayed, think about what we're complaining about, right? We're in an air-conditioned terminal. Uh, you're on an air-conditioned plane. Once in a blue moon, it's never happened to me, you'll find out about the some other plane sitting on a tarmac, no water, no air conditioning. It's never happened to me. It happens to like 10 people a year. Um, I just love it. Jet blue is what I took. Even security. Here is a little piece of advice, okay? You know that TSA pre-check? I did that. I didn't do it for years. I always thought, well, that's got to be a pain in the neck. Uh, what do you do for that? And I couldn't even, I couldn't even contemplate whatever it took to do that. My wife set it up. All right. I could not do it. My wife set it up. It was no big deal. I, the one thing I had to do was go to the airport one day when I wasn't flying anywhere. You had to go there and I think I had to get my picture taken or fill out a form or whatever. But showing up at the airport, I mean, I just, there's basically no line on pre-check. And you don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. It's very, very quick. And uh, I love it. I mean, and I look around me. Even people at TSA pre-check, you know, everyone's kind of miserable, right? We're told we're supposed to be miserable. You know what? We don't have to be miserable. Just go ahead and inhale the air, right? Think about how great we have it in this country. I know the country is going to hell. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm, I'm very, very worried about where we are and where we're going. Um uh, but, you know, I really worry the most when I'm looking at my phone. If I look around me, sometimes in some environments, you know, I look like, hey, you know what? America is doing okay. State-of-the-art airplanes, state-of-the-art uh, uh, facilities. Um, yeah, well, I went to Westchester County Airport, by the way. That's another little secret. It's, a, oh, wow, you're in and out. It's so small, appropriately small. You go to JFK, JetBlue. You gotta walk literally for a mile before you get to the taxi cabs. You, uh, it's, ooh, it's so hard and it's confusing. You come off and half that place is under construction. Westchester Airport is, is fabulous. And one other thing though, I do have a recommendation to JetBlue and airlines all over the place. Um, we're all big boys and girls. We know how to get our own beverages. We know how to put the beverage in our bag. Uh, we're not all dying of thirst. I have a feeling that we can get rid of the food and drink service. I really think that might be a big step in the right direction. Um, you know, most domestic flights, you're not getting anything good. You're getting a bag of chips, you know, pretzels, 
and they're always a little bit weird, like popcorn chips or baked potato chips. They're never anything really good. And you get a soda or whatever you want. I always order, for whatever reason, tomato juice when I'm on a plane. I never get tomato juice except when I'm on a plane because I know they have it. Uh, but I think they should get rid of it because that big, damn, bulky cart right there in the middle of the aisle, and you really have to strategize when you want to go to the bathroom. And is it a good time to go to the bathroom? And what about that cart? And what am I going to do about that? That's a problem. So I don't like that, but I like everything else about flying. I like, uh, you know, everybody gets a TV screen. You can look at anything. I generally put up the map. I just put up the map so I can monitor where the plane is. You can do that. And uh, and believe it or not, every now and then I will try to chat with the person sitting next to me. In this case, uh, it was not my wife. My wife was two rows behind me. And... Um, so I, this is some guy sitting there and, uh, we had a guy to guy talk, you know, there's still things that guys like. Now I'm in a little bit of a disadvantage because I'm not a big sports guy. So I can't really talk too much about sports other than that. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to crash and burn because he's been taking too many mushrooms and psychedelic drugs and he's too touchy feely and he's too old. So I could talk about Aaron Rodgers and a couple of the other personalities, but you know, Curtis Sliwa and those guys, I mean, no, I, I have no idea what they're talking about. So we talked about watches. You know, there are a lot of guys out there who are, have gotten into watches over the past couple of years, and I am one of them. And um, I just, you know, Instagram, they show you these beautiful watches, and uh, it's like one of the few things left we have to buy that kind of sets us apart, right? I mean, the phone, everything is in that silly phone, and it's a magnificent device. It's got all kinds of great things, but it also can really suck the life out of you if you're not careful. Um, and in Florida, let's see here, Ron DeSantis is doing his thing with the hurricane. Now, is it all that? Um, you know, there are people out there, establishment Republicans, who are so afraid of Trump and everything he represents, they just want it to be back the way it used to be. And that was with, you know, just their ordinary power-seeking country club types in charge. Especially, you know, who epitomizes this? The Bushes. The Bushes. They did not want to do anything for America. They just wanted the power. They had a couple of beliefs, but nothing really all that serious. No real conviction. Remember George H.W. Bush? The vision thing. You know, uh, 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 Vice President Bush, what's your vision for the country? Uh, well, <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. He He joked about it. He mocked it. He called it the vision thing. Had no real vision for America. Uh, neither did uh, George W. Bush. What was his whole catchphrase? I, I want to restore honor and decency to the White House. All right, what does that mean? Well, that means no more oral sex in the White House. He was talking about Clinton and what happened there. And that's that's uh, that's valid. That's valid. Yikes. All right, you know, I'm in a... Uh, I'm in a, far, I'm in a hotel room, and the door just opened up all on its own. Is anyone there? Wow, talk about a haunted house. That was weird. Oh, man. All right, everything's under control. I just saw a person. Everything's fine. You ever... Ooh, that was... It opened so slowly, like right out of poltergeist. Anyway, uh, back to Ron DeSantis. He goes to press conferences, and everyone's saying, like, look at him be so presidential. This is what we need back. And I admit he's doing fine, but, you know, what governor wouldn't, quite frankly? A hurricane hits your state. There are three things you do. Um, you put on the emergency jacket, 
you get briefed on the uh, who's got power and who doesn't have power. And what's the third thing you do? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, take questions from reporters. Uh, here's Ron DeSantis in action. Is this is this presidential? Is this is this? Uh, I mean, does this really mean much? Cut thirty one, please. Cut thirty one. We're now uh, forty eight hours after landfall. Uh, there are approximately ninety one thousand power outages reported throughout the state. There have been four hundred and seventy six thousand accounts that have been restored uh, since the storm hit the state of Florida. Well, congratulations. You just, I mean, does, did he go out there and survey it? No, he's not supposed to. They gave him a card with all those numbers and the updates. Yeah, but he looks great. I don't know. He kind of seemed fine, like anybody would be in that situation. I could go out there and say there are 91,000 customers still without power or working hard to get that power on. You know, <laughs> governors don't have all the power you think they do, um, especially, quite frankly, here in Florida. You know, it's, it's a great part of this state that it's very low taxes. In fact, there's no personal income tax. Uh, but that also means uh, there's not a lot of state programs. I remember I was here for Hurricane, what the hell was that? Hurricane Irma? Was it Hurricane Irma? Yeah. And it was a little secret about Florida since there's no... uh no big state income tax. They didn't have much in the way of uh, emergency gear, like big lights and um, you know uh, tree shredders and stuff like that. Three days later, stuff started coming in from South Carolina, from North Carolina, even from New York, which is great, helping a state in need. Uh, but a lot of the hardware you think that a state should have, uh, Florida doesn't have. And I look, I would rather uh, no 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 state income tax. I I, I love that. In fact. Hey, I might wind up permanently down here. You know, if New York doesn't turn around, if uh, we keep electing incompetent Democrats uh, to lead, uh, Florida has a lot going for it. But, um, you know, DeSantis, it's kind of like a part-time job, you know. And, uh, well, here's here's case in point. Um, the great, what's his name again? Coltrane. I think his name is Assemblyman Coltrane. From, Colton Moore. I'm sorry, Colton Moore. <laughs> Coltrane. Who's that? Some jazz guy, right? Anyway, um, he has come forward in the Georgia State House, and he wants to convene a general assembly to look into impeaching Fannie Willis. Fannie. And I think that's a fantastic idea. What she is doing is a threat to democracy. That's the real threat to democracy. Now, Brian Kemp, what do you have to say about that? The governor. Here's Governor Brian Kemp, cut 21. Cut 21, please. Well, let me be clear. We have a law in the state of Georgia that clearly outlines the legal steps that can be taken if constituents believe their local prosecutors are violating their oath by engaging in unethical or illegal behavior. Up to this point, I have not seen any evidence that D.A. Willis's actions or lack thereof warrant action by the prosecuting attorney oversight commission but that will ultimately be a decision that the commission will make regardless in my mind a special session of the general assembly to end run around this law is not feasible and may ultimately prove to be unconstitutional well why don't we bottom line is that in the state of georgia as long as i'm governor we're going to follow the law in the constitution regardless of who it helps 
or harms politically. Well, uh, I got actually a problem with that. If you think that sounds reasonable, it's actually not. He just said it may, may be unconstitutional. Let's let a Supreme Court figure that out. Look at it, how by the book he is. These are extraordinary times. We have a local district attorney trying to deprive us of the opportunity to vote for Donald Trump. And he's pretending like this is normal. And he keeps referring to this regulation, and that regulation may be unconstitutional. People can have a difference of opinion what's constitutional and what's not. You want to hear Brian Kemp back when he wanted people to vote for him, when he pretended to be a good old boy? Seriously, he pretended to be a good old boy. He sounds like a good old boy, but he's just a an Atlanta swamp guy. Uh, listen to this campaign commercial back in 2018. Cut 29, please. Cut 29. I'm Brian Kemp. I'm so conservative. I blow up government spending. I own guns that no one's taking away. My chainsaw's ready to rip up some regulations. I got a big truck. Just in case I need to round up criminal illegals and take them home myself. Yep, I just said that. I'm Brian Kemp. If you want a politically incorrect conservative, that's me. Wow. Hey, I think it might be the violation of somebody's constitutional rights. If you decide to throw them in the back of your pickup truck and drive them to the border, you liar and phony. Remember that, Governor Brian Kemp. Wow. Fannie Willis should be removed from office. Just read the damn indictment. I'll be back. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Bruno. He's your numero uno. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, uh, Elon Musk. I am a huge Elon Musk guy, not just because he's the uh, richest man in the world. Is he the richest man in the world? I think he is, actually. I think he's richer than uh, Bezos, but uh, whatever. Uh, very interesting guy. He wants to improve the world. He wants to uh, explore outer space. And he's anti-woke, anti-woke. Um, and I love it. I love it. However, I didn't realize how personal it was for him. Did you hear about his daughter? His daughter, his own daughter, his own flesh and blood, uh, was corrupted by some crazy liberal school in Los Angeles. And she was in her adolescence and became a raging communist slash, um, uh, well, wanted to transition genders. I think she wanted to go from girl to boy. Um, there's a new book out about Musk. It's by Walter Isaacson, who's a real, um, hmm, what do we say about Walter? Uh, he's overrated. He's often just very superficial, but he's got something about his name, Walter Isaacson. He was running CNN and writing books part-time. It tells you those, you know, part-time books are often, if you're trying to do a serious biography, they kind of fall short. You know, you're supposed to do like Robert Caro. Not everybody can do that. I know you're supposed, he moves to, you know, Johnson City, Texas to study Lyndon Johnson's boyhood home for three years. Not everybody can do that, but 
you really do notice the difference. Anyway, with all that said, Wall Street Journal has a big excerpt today. Listen to this. A new ingredient had been added to uh, the Elon Musk persona. Musk's swelling concern with the dangers of what he called the woke mind virus that he believed was infecting America. Unless the woke mind virus, which is fundamentally anti-science, anti-merit, and anti-human in general, is stopped, civilization will never become multiplanetary. <laughs> multiplanetary, wow. He's already thinking about going to other planets, but I think his concerns are a bit more fundamental. Listen to this. Musk's anti-woke sentiments were partly triggered by the decision of his oldest child, Xavier, then 16, to transition. Okay, boy to girl. Oh, my goodness gracious. Somehow that's even worse. Hey, I'm transgender, and my name is now Jenna, Xavier texted, the wife of Elon's brother. Don't tell my dad. When Musk found out, he was generally sanguine. But then, what the hell does sanguine mean? Why would he write the word sanguine? I know what sanguine means, but why the hell did he write that? It's a pain in the neck word. Sanguine means you're like cheerfully optimistic, even though the situation is glum. The very doom and gloom. You're somehow hopeful. Sanguine. Haven't thought of that word in a long time. When Musk found out, he was generally sanguine. But then Jenna became a fervent Marxist and broke off all relations with him. She went beyond socialism to being a full communist and thinking that anyone rich is evil, he says. The rift pained him more than anything in his life oh, since the infant death of his firstborn child. I've made many overtures, he says, but she doesn't want to spend time with me. He blamed it partly on the ideology he felt that Jenna imbibed at Crossroads School, the progressive school she attended in Los Angeles. Twitter, he felt, had become infected by a similar mindset that suppressed right-wing and anti-establishment voices. Wow. But man, all that money, and what a, it happened to him. It happened to him. It can happen to me, and I'm not going to let that happen. I thank Elon Musk for being so candid about what happened you know i uh wow this is heavy stuff thank you elon musk sorry about this greg kelly entertaining and informative on the red apple podcast network all right remember it rhymes with cake vivek ramaswamy and uh, everybody's crazy about this guy, including President Trump. He knows. He knows. He can see it. He can sense it. Anybody can. The talent, the intelligence, uh, the eloquence, it's all there. And the principles, I uh, I really like him a lot. I love to see him on the ticket. I love to see uh, President Trump and President Ramaswamy. Name one person better than Ramaswamy who was on that stage. Or at least perform better than him. All right. I don't know. I mean, is anybody really pushing DeSantis anymore? I don't think he can. I mean, he's losing this thing. He's losing. He's in third place now. If this guy showed up six months ago, uh, what's his name? DeSantis had the backing of, uh, you know, dozens of billionaires, the entire Republican establishment, the Wall Street Journal, and he falls flat on his face. And you know what? It's not just stylistic stuff. All right. It's, uh, it's beyond that. It's, it's, a lack of ability. I'm sorry. He's just not up to it. So I just saw Vivek. Seriously, let's get the name right. I, I can't stand every time I hear somebody say Vivek. 
Vivek. It's Vivek. And I know that because I asked him. I asked the very first thing I, I said to him. Look, this is an unusual name, at least in my, you know, I have not, I'm not, I've never heard it before. How do you say it? And uh, he said, I'm so glad you asked. It's Vivek. Anyway, um, I should, I should break out that interview. It was, it was several months ago, but there was one he did just about uh, 10 minutes ago on Fox News. And, uh, I saw they were trying to give him a, a hard time at one point, but then I think things smoothed out. Let's go ahead and uh, play the first clip. She's been mispronouncing my name for the longest time. It's Vivek. It rhymes with cake. There you go. I'd expect someone of Nikki's background to be able to get that right. So I believe in a little bit of banter on the basketball court. We're having fun in this race. But I do think that there is a real distinction. And I think that I am the only candidate who was on that stage who was a non-neocon. I believe in standing for American interests, asserting American interests, but only where it advances the U.S. interest. That's very different from other candidates that would sooner send troops to defend an invasion across somebody else's border than to use troops to defend across the invasion on our own southern border in this country. I worry that many in the neocon establishment are quietly, even if accidentally, marching us into World War III, serious armed conflict with other nuclear powers, including the combination of the Russia-China alliance. I am the only candidate in this race who has pointed out the Russia-China alliance and the threat that it poses and a clear plan to pull them apart from each other. So, yes, everybody agrees that men shouldn't be swimming in, the, in women's swimming competitions. I'm glad we all agree on that. But I think when it comes to foreign policy, that's really what distinguishes me from the Carl Rove, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Chris Christie wing. And I think that debate is going to be good. Well, for interesting. You didn't mention. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, Nikki Haley, they've been going back and forth. You know, they're both, I guess, of Indian descent and there was something going on with the names. And uh, uh, what is a neocon exactly? All right. I know one when I see one, Paul Wolfowitz. Technically speaking, it's somebody who used to be a liberal but is now a conservative. Uh, but basically, it's swampy Republicans, all right? Swampy Republicans. Next clip, please. This is good. Vivek Ramaswamy killing it. I've stood firmly for advancing American interests. I've been very clear that our relationship with Israel by the end of my first term will be stronger than it has ever been because I will treat it as a true friendship, not a transactional relationship. I don't talk in the way that standard GOP talking points advise you to speak, but I'm speaking with an authenticity on that relationship. Take the Abraham Accords to the next level. Add Saudi Arabia, Oman, Qatar, Indonesia to that pact. I've been crystal clear that it is a vital U.S. interest to make sure that Iran never comes anywhere close to a nuclear weapon. We have to work with Israel to make sure that happens. And yes, I have said that we would back Israel fully, militarily. But I've also said that I don't want our sons and daughters, U.S. troops, to die in that conflict. And if they're going to distort that to say that I'm not going to stand for Israel, then I'm happy to have the debate where Nikki Haley or Mike Pence or Chris Christie can state how many U.S. soldiers they'd like to see die in that conflict. I'll wait. I've asked that question. I haven't gotten a response. Wow. Wow. All right. Now, I, I know some people uh, have been giving me a hard time. You know what, Greg? This is just like Obama, but on the other side. No, it's not. Um, now, Obama was purposely vague. He never said anything about policy. He said nothing that could actually get him in trouble or that would actually set him apart or something that was bold or he was so risk averse. And so he was vague that entire campaign. Uh, this guy is, um, incredibly detail oriented, focused. Uh, this is real stuff. This is real policy. You may disagree with it, but he's actually, 
laying it down there, what he stands for, distinguishing himself. You know, Obama didn't have to break a sweat. Everybody just fell in love with him. Why did they fall in love with him? <laughs> his speech. His speech with you know, let's all unite. That's that's basically all he said. There is no red state America or blue state America. There is the United States of America. Wow, elect that man president. I mean, it really got that speech out of a cracker at the back of a cereal box. Um, next, please, Vivek. Right now, the status quo is the U.S. embraces the one China policy. Both Republicans and Democrats, every other Republican in this race, embraces the one China policy. Strategic ambiguity, refusing to call Taiwan a nation. Recall that President Trump was derided by both parties for picking up a phone call from the Taiwanese president. That's our current status quo with respect to China. I think that's insufficient. I think we have to be crystal clear that we will defend Taiwan. So I'm upgrading to strategic clarity, saying that absolutely we will defend Taiwan until we get semiconductor independence, because that's why Taiwan matters most to the U.S. They provide the chips that power our modern way of life. And after that, we resume the current status quo. I kind of want to hear what this guy's saying, because they try to interject these uh, these lightweight anchors. They don't know what the hell's going on. Um, you know, strategic clarity instead of strategic ambiguity. Uh, what the hell? You know, if there was a war, are we going to defend Taiwan? Uh, the pressure would be enormous. I'd say yes, right? I mean, China, what, Taiwan is free and China is, we're going to defend Ukraine, thoroughly corrupt Ukraine. I think we got more invested in Taiwan than China. Anyway. Um, now, one of the reasons why, yo, know, the Wall Street Journal, oh, no, 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 because they are always having lunches with these career diplomats who, uh, I mean, they make a living by going to conferences and not making decisions. Uh, this, and he's right about Trump when he picked up that phone call. I remembered it was during the transition. Oh my God. How dare he speak to Taiwan? How dare he do that? What the phone rang? One more or two more. Keep going. I'm 38 years old. I have fresh legs. We are reaching the next generation of young Americans. That is why I can win this election in a landslide in a way that no other candidate can. Look at the way we're running this campaign. I've gone to the inner city of Chicago, Kensington in the middle of Philadelphia, places where traditional Republican candidates dare not touch. We're leaving no state left behind, no city left behind, no American left behind already building a multi-ethnic working class coalition. And I think this cannot be a 50.1 election. I think this has to be a landslide moral mandate like Ronald Reagan delivered in 1980. Well, I've always felt that actually Donald Trump could, believe it or not, deliver that kind of victory. I actually really believe that. Um, at one point, Donald Trump, I hope he does this, you know, once he secures the nomination, it's textbook politics. And I know he's not a textbook guy, um, but you got to start speaking to the center. You got to start speaking to the other side. And if he convinces them that everything you've heard about me is a lie and you have nothing to fear from me. And oh, by the way, take a look at my vice president, Vivek Ramaswamy. I think they'd be great together. Hey, where the hell is Kensington? He keeps mentioning Kensington. Is that supposed to be the hood? Is that in Philadelphia? I don't know. Uh, I think we got one or two more. Keep going. Is that it? We have some of our areas of differences, but they are small. 
by and large, we're the two America first candidates in this race. Everybody embraces everybody else embraces the neocon mm-hmm. foreign policy view. So I think we're deeply aligned on policy 90 plus percent of the way. There are some small differences. I would rescind affirmative action. I would militarize the southern border instead of just building the wall. I would shut down the U.S. Department of Education, not just put a good person, Betsy DeVos, on top to reform it. Those are details. But the main difference is I will be able to unite this country by leading the next generation of Americans to a vision of what it means to be an American. Revive national pride in that next generation where it is lacking. I think we have an opportunity to reunite this country around our shared ideals. And that will allow me to take the America first agenda even further than Donald Trump did by building on what I think is a very good foundation that he laid. All right. All right, I'm still for Trump, enthusiastically so, but uh, deeply impressed. And I know, 38 years old, I don't care anymore. I really don't care. I don't care that he never worked in politics. Actually, that's an asset. Look at Mike Pence. He had all the right jobs, and he's just, uh, I mean, he's just a lump, right? And he has no guts. He thinks he can just sit there in a dignified fashion, and that's going to carry him to the to the White House? No, no. And, uh, yeah, actually, Mike Pence did let us down on January 6th. If he felt the way he did, he could have said so on January 4th. Instead, he stirred people up thinking that something was going to happen when he knew it wasn't going to happen. He told only his daughter, actually, on the way, January 6th, what he was going to do. All these people are going to be so disappointed. I'm just going to, no, I'm not. Anyway, um, so good. Hey, you know what I do? Fake. What will he do regarding the January 6th um, prisoners, those who are being convicted and being sentenced to uh, decades in jail, some of them? Uh, this this is a travesty. This is um, a, real, a real threat to democracy. I got to say this, uh, Enrique Tarrio, the head of the Proud Boys, the Proud Boys are not white supremacists, all right? They have so successfully infected uh, mainstream media and culture with that notion that the Proud Boys, there he is, Enrique Tarrio, half black, half Cuban, Afro-Cuban, they call it. He's not a white supremacist. I hate that. Anyway, he was supposed to be sentenced, I think, uh, Wednesday, but they put it off for some reason. It's going to be sometime next week. So unfair. And... Uh, why though? Why? Why? What's the big deal? What happened? What happened? What happened? So I looked at the sentencing documents. You know, prosecutors, they always have a, uh, they're, they're always writing documents. They're always, you know, throw, when they throw the book at you, they're not kidding around. I, he's, they're getting sentenced and they put out this 80 page. Imagine getting your lawyer to write 80 pages for you. It's very, very hard to go up against the federal government. Um, they have, they call it a victim statement. Victim statement. I'm like, what the hell? Okay, the victim statement from January 6th. This is why the judge, the judge is supposed to read this and figure out how much time to sentence these guys to. They want Enrique Tarrio to do 33 years. He wasn't even there on January 6th. He wrote an email to his friend. All right? This is not... (laughs) Have you ever seen pro-abortion people shut down the Capitol? Happens all the time. What do they get? Literally nothing. They get escorted out of the Capitol. Sometimes they get a ticket. And this victim statement goes on and on. It's quoting Ronald Reagan. It's all over the place. It's the strangest thing in the world. And then they go to how people felt. How people felt. It's so political. This is not based one bit, one bit on fact. Let's see here. This is the victim statement. 
Congress was the face of the peaceful transfer of presidential power. And in these defendants' eyes, they were traitors. Public accounts by many of these members of Congress illustrate some of the emotional and physical toll these people suffered and continue to suffer at the hands of these defendants. What about what I suffered? What about what my family suffered during Black Lives Matter summer? Huh? The time I got a panic phone call with a couple of thousand people who shut down Ninth Avenue right outside and were spray painting on our apartment building and banging on the front door. Let's see here. Uh, representatives hiding in the gallery and rejoiced at the government. Let's see. I'm trying to. Some representatives were initially stranded in the gallery. Oh, my goodness. They were stranded. One representative said, I really thought we're not going to be evacuated. We're going to die here. Well, <laughs> you congressmen didn't die, and that's good. You weren't even hurt. It looks to me like you let your imagination uh, get away from you. The rioters this congresswoman thought, could at any point take three members either hostage or kill any three members, and that would have prevented us from certifying the election. Well, um, this is all in your head. This is all in your head. And then they talk about some of the cops here, some of those capital cops, that they, uh, who apparently, somehow, it's above them or beneath them, beneath them, to fight a riot. Officer Shea... Cooney described hearing the radio call of a breach, and she testified that the terror she heard in that transmission caused her to run to the West Front. When she saw the rioters had advanced to the black fence, a little panic came through. Okay, this is a riot. This is a riot. Cooney thought they weren't going to have enough. Yeah, you weren't. Why is that? She had panic, and it was briefly paralyzing, but Cooney promptly joined her outnumbered officers on the line, and got in the fight. Officer Cooney came face-to-face with Ethan Nordeen just after he tore down the black metal fence. Nordeen and Biggs ignored her command to stop. I see this every night on the news. I see this every single night on the news. Why do we make a federal case out of this, huh? Why is it okay for some and not okay for others? Officer Cooney battled rioters in the West Plaza. She was personally hit by water bottles and hit in the head with flagpoles and flags, including the American flag. Officer Cooney completed a 24-hour shift and returned to the Capitol on January 7th after only two hours of sleep. Wow. I mean, this is, again, federal case. Now, I don't want anybody to get hit in the head, especially law enforcement, but she showed up the next day. She was fine. Uh, hit in the head. I have a feeling was she wearing a was she wearing a riot hat a helmet? I don't know. There's there's tale after tale all these tales of woe. Officer Ode saw fear. She was Officer Ode was afraid. Well, I mean, okay, this is called a riot anyway. Uh, so Vivek Ramaswamy, you going to pardon these guys or what? Huh? I want to know, and I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yo, and we're back. Let's try uh, in Rockaway Beach. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well, Greg. Um, You made a comment about Obama, and believe me, I'm no Obama fan. I think he's one of the worst presidents we ever had. But um, he did have a, a policy with Syria. If you recall, with the use of um, weapons of mass destruction against his own people, he said that they were going to, if they used it, they were going to cross a, a line in the sand. And of course, they crossed not only that line, but two other lines. 
and he never took any action. He never wanted to commit himself, if you recall. No, yeah, the red line. I understand. No, look, look, I didn't say that. I didn't say he didn't have policies. I said in the campaign of 2008, he was very vague on policy. Yeah, I mean, he was, he didn't really have much to say. It was like, elect me, I'm black. All right, elect, elect me. I have an interesting story. Elect me. I'm from Hawaii. Elect me. My, my mom is white. My dad is black and he's from Kenya. You know, I wrote two books about myself. It wasn't about policy. It wasn't a campaign based on ideas. It was a campaign based on on propaganda about himself. Uh, certainly he had policies, liberal leftist crazy policies when he was president. He didn't like to talk about that in 2008. And actually he, uh, he didn't really like to talk about it in 2012 and the press let him get away with it. Very, very vague. Does that make sense? No, I understand. I remember the red line and yeah, we, uh, draw a line in the sand. They walk over it. We do nothing. Weak, weak, weak. Meanwhile, you got Vivek specifying everything, every little detail. So that's the difference. Does that make sense, buddy? It does. But uh, with Vivek, I like him, what he says domestically. But I think his uh, foreign policy is very much uh, not to be appreciated by us. I mean, we cannot permit the Ukraine to be united with Russia. Russia as a country, uh, Russia itself as a country, or Russia with Ukraine becomes an empire. And we've got to put them down finally. Well, Russia is huge. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, how much? Look, I hate war. I think we need to talk about peace. All right. You know, these these the Republicans are talking about just money, un- endless money. Democrats, no one's talking about peace, sitting down at the peace table. I quite frankly believe Trump when he says I can broker this thing in a day. I really do. And remember, this thing wouldn't have happened if Biden were in there. So, you know what? America first. You know, if you're if you're truly America first. There comes a time when, you know, I, I, we gotta, it, we just can't go on forever like this. And, and we have not picked wisely in terms of foreign wars and what we support and how we do it. And I think we're making a big, big mistake all over again. Remember, but the, the real culprit is, uh, Joe Biden. Hey, man, thank you very much. Very thoughtful. Very good. Um, Hey, what's the weather like down there? I'll tell you what it's like here. I'm in Florida and I absolutely love it. Palm Beach. Not as hot as I thought, not as hot as it's been in the past on uh, previous little visits down here. Um, why don't I try uh, Max in Manhattan? Greg, thank you for taking my call. Um, listen, this guy, uh, Ramaswamy, is, uh, he's taking money from Pfizer. And from what I understand, when his college years, he took money from Soros. So, Hey, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? How about this? All right, I heard what you said. You're breaking up, though. Uh, yeah, look, I know uh, you want to talk about who's taking money from Big Pharma, all right? You want uh, Basically, every politician, everybody, everybody. But I somehow I trust this guy. And I know about the Soros money, too. It was a scholarship for law school. I'll have more to say when I come back. Greg Kelly, Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, the nice thing about traveling is it gets you out of your head. You know, you walk around a, uh, an unfamiliar town and you actually soak it all in. You're thinking about the streets. You're thinking about your surroundings. You're thinking about you're very, very present. You are. And I think that's why we like travel. It's not so much where we are. It's what we think about when we're there. We don't we're not stuck in our own brains. We're not worrying about stuff for the most part. Right. You get away from it all. 
and you're, you have a new, new surroundings and you are kind of taking in those surroundings. You go for a walk. You actually, you eat a meal. You're actually in, like kind of focused on the food in a way you might not be at home. And I don't know. I love it. Maybe I should do more of it. I don't want to do any exotic traveling. I don't want to go anywhere uh, far away. I certainly don't want to get on a, uh, I don't want to go international. I've been everywhere I want to go. I know that sounds rather ignorant, but, I really have. I've been uh, I've been all over the world. I've been uh, I shouldn't say that. I've never been to South America. And maybe I should and can go because the good thing about going to South America is no ch- no no time uh, zone situation, right? It's basically in the same time zone. Uh it's like uh you know, it's way south. And actually it's way east. So it's like one or two hours, but it's not the same as when you go to Europe. Or when you go to Japan, I mean, what the hell is going on with the time zone there? Nobody knows what time it is in Japan. It's so, now I've done that a couple of times. It really, you are a basket case for a while. Um, and the other thing, well, anyway, um, I like America. I'm not going to Mexico. I already told you about that. Uh, they chop off heads down there. That's really serious. Uh, now fortunately, well, not really fortunately. I mean, there's not an armed invasion in terms of like an army, but it might as well be an invasion. We're going through an invasion right now. And our military, uh, you know, tell me again why we can't use it more robustly down there. It's not like we're going to be using it for a domestic cause. Maybe we should make a demilitarized zone between Mexico and America. A demilitarized zone. A little bit of a buffer. A little bit of a buffer. You know, they didn't build the wall. They fought them. Every step of the way, it's amazing he got as much built that he did. Um, but what about a DMZ? What about a DMZ? And you know what? The military, they could, they could conduct training missions down there as well because they got to get ready for other, uh, they got to get ready for notional wars down the, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think we need a fresh look at securing the border. Democrats at one point were all about a border fence. You could see, oh, did I ever tell you about the time that uh, Chuck Schumer got so mad at me when I just brought up the fact that he, in 2005, was supportive of a border fence? Yeah, I said, you know, well, what happened? I mean, in 2005, you were all for a border. No, 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 no. He demanded that the cameras be shut off. He demanded that the cameras be shut off. And he called, uh, I think he called our boss. He was so mad. And, uh, like, he was confronted with his own words. And I didn't realize until later why he was so crazy mad, because he was even more afraid of the woke mob showing up at his house in Brooklyn, his apartment in Brooklyn. That happened to him early in the Trump administration, and this was like in mid-2017, when I you know, asked these pretty basic questions that any professional politician could be able to handle, uh, but it just set him off. And he went totally nuts. And oh, by the way, look, this guy goes where the wind blows, right? And he wants power. He likes the perks. He likes all that stuff. Uh, I understand. But what do they say about power? It can corrupt. It really can. It's one of the many great things about Trump. You know, he had it before he got there. Um, but I think he's been corrupted by power. Not in the sense that he's taking money from anybody, uh, Chuck, but he'll do whatever it takes to stay in power. Public safety be damned. And he knows, and I know that he knows this, that proactive policing, stop and frisk, that they work, that they work, that they work.
It's amazing how woke and crazy all these idiots have gotten. Woke and crazy. And I can show you proof from Barack Obama to Chuck Schumer that they were, for whatever reason, they were totally fine when they were in office, when Obama was in office, with the streets of New York being secure. Stop and frisk. They liked it. They supported it. They actually did until they decided that the political winds were shifting and then they, uh, and then they created all kinds of mischief. But, uh, I can, I, I, I've got the documents. I've got the receipts. I've got the receipts. You notice that, uh, hey, who was Chloe Feynman? Have you ever heard of the name Chloe Feynman? Of course not. Chloe Feynman is one of the big stars of Saturday Night Live. Isn't it amazing? You know, the big stars. Remember, I can name the stars of 1976 Saturday Night Live. Uh, Jane Curtin, John Belushi, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Garrett Morris. I can't name one person, including Chloe Feynman. I mean, I needed somebody's help to tell me who Chloe Feynman is. I'm not saying it's her fault. I'm sure she's talented. I'm probably sure she's woke, which is really, or at least she has to pretend she's woke. Who knows? Uh, they've gone so political. They used to make fun of everybody. And it was great. Uh, but comedians today, they're just, there are very few breakout comedians. Most of the ones who are famous, famous got famous, you know, before the cell phones took off. We knew all about, um, I mean, Chris Rock's been famous for 25 years. Try to think of a comedian who's become like ultra famous in the past five years. It's hard, right? They're all been around for a long time. Even though the comedians are getting better and better. And one of the reasons for that, is YouTube. Um, you know, when you were trying to do impressions in 1975, I mean, you know, how much could you study the president? Remember Chevy Chase's, Chevy Chase's impression of Gerald Ford was like, hi, I'm Chevy Chase. I'm President Ford. He didn't even try. <laughs> he didn't even try. He just said, I'm President Ford. And then he fell down and everybody thought that was hilarious. And, you know, it was pretty, he was ahead of his time in a couple of different ways, but, um, Nobody really, other than Rich Little, could do impressions. Because how do you, how do you do it? How do you study these guys? Well, now you have tens of thousands, every kind of piece of footage of everybody imaginable, and you can just watch them and make it better and better and better and better. And one of the guys I like is, uh, have you ever heard of him? Jason Scoop. You probably haven't. I mean, now I know they, they, they each have their own following. And, uh, they're, they're each kind of famous in their own way, but this guy is so good. He does a Trump impression. He does a Bush impression. He does Obama. He does Bill Cosby. He does a lot of impressions. And, um, they're awesome. Now his Trump impression, I actually might be my favorite. He plays Trump smart and outrageous, and he is. He's smart and outrageous. It's not the best voice I've ever heard of Trump, but the entire package is fantastic. So imagine a scenario where President Trump called up, uh, a mattress company and ordered a bed for uh, for Joe Biden. It would possibly sound something like this. This is a prank phone call that Jason Scoop put on Instagram. We have that ready, please. Yes, yes. All right, go ahead. Calling mattress firm. This is your Hello, mattress firm. Is this Sleepy's or mattress firm? It's both. Oh, tremendous. <laughs> well, look, I'd like to order a mattress for our president. I call him Sleepy Joe Biden, and uh, I'd like to have it sent to the White House very strongly. Okay, sounds good. I'm more than happy to send Mr. Biden up with a mattress. And let me tell you something. I want the best mattress, okay? The most expensive, number one, okay? Okay, 
that. Well, thank you. What do you need from me? Okay. Uh, what size mattress do you need? Large. Large, like a king size? Okay, I don't do anything less than king size, so we're going to do king size, okay? Okay. Thank you. We have California King, too. Do you want a California King? California King. You know, we were treated very unfairly in California, but you know what? I'm, I'm willing to forgive for this, so we'll get a California King. Okay. And when do you need delivery by? I need delivery by as soon as possible. Oh, you know what, sweetheart? I got Rudy Giuliani calling. Let me call you right back. Hello, Rudy? Yeah, I just got the mattress here. We're sending it very bigly, very soon. Okay, all right, let me know. You keep finding those votes all over the place, okay? Thank you for calling. I think I like, you know what the best part is? Okay, okay. Uh, there are some uh, comedians who do, I mean, that is, I think ultimately that's kind of complimentary. It's funny. He plays a smart Trump as opposed to Alec Baldwin. Wow, hey, whatever happened to him? They don't let him do that impression anymore. I mean, finally, you know, you kill somebody and, uh, that, that then they don't invite you on Saturday Night Live. That guy, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in favor of cancel culture, uh, but that guy should have been canceled a long time ago. Uh, out there screaming like a maniac, uh, anti-gay, anti-this, anti-that. Uh, but he's Alec and he hates Trump. He makes jokes about assassinating, uh, Supreme Court justices, but it's funny. When you talk about uh, assassinating a conservative justice, right? No, it's not. But he gets away with it. The left, they get away with, with so, so much. And what the hell are we going to do about it? What are we, what are we going to do about it? I know we're going to vote, but we got to do more than that. We have to, we have to, we have to start shooting our mouths off online, everywhere we go. Uh, don't get into fights, you know, be cordial, uh, to a, to a point. But this is, these are desperate times. And the next time, if you ever feel like you're losing an argument with a liberal, just break out a picture of a uh, or you know, go to the drag queens. <laughs> go to the drag queens and tell and get them to d- defend having drag queens go into the schools to speak to the kids. All right, I, that 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 is the okay. You guys are for this. When Joe Biden gets up there and says what he says about transgender, which is so wildly outside of his scope, job description. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, tell me, tell me how that's right. Okay. If all else fails, you can go to that, which I think is incredibly important. You may even want to start with that. So remember, uh, shoot your mouth, mouths off, get on social media. And, um, you know, I know, uh, I love, uh, I love Sandra out there. I know she loves to pick up the phone and, uh, talk to these people over the phone, but it doesn't leave a mark. It doesn't, it doesn't register. You gotta write a letter, paper and pen. Or computer or whatever. You know, and you can make it easy on yourself. You can write one letter and then print it up 50 times and send it to half the United States senators. You could do that. You could do, anybody could do that. As my friend Tony Robbins once said, anybody can be up at six in the morning with a passion for living. You know, people talk about achieving goals and then they think about the things that you have to do to achieve those goals and then, oh boy. Yeah, you can have anything you want, but you gotta get up at six in the morning and have a passion for a living. Oh, well that eliminates 99.9% of the people right there. I'm reading a great book about achieving stuff, but interestingly enough, it, they say if you don't focus on the goal, you'll achieve it. You gotta focus on the systems to achieve that goal. You know, you achieve a goal, it's a very momentary thing, it's fleeting. Oh, I made my goal. Then what? Well, hopefully you got all these systems in place. So, you know, it's September 1st. And by 
What do we have left? We have four months left. I love the first of the month. For me, it is like a clean slate. You know, it's a time to, uh, I don't know. It's a little bit like, it's just a, it's, I, I, somehow I like it. It's a fresh start. And I got all kinds of goals. And sometimes, uh, those goals in my life have become fantasies. And I'm, you know, like, but without a practical strategy to achieve them. And this book, Atomic Habits, I'll read a, a little bit to you in, in, in a while. Uh, it's, it's kind of setting me straight on a bunch of stuff that I thought previously, um, that I was good at. Hey, I'm not finished with Brian Kemp, that rhino Georgia governor who is so emblematic of weak and comfortable and very fearful Republicans. So many rhinos. You know, the whole damn system truly is the whole system. Everything, any entity you can think of in America is opposed to Trump, except the people where all he's got. It's kind of a privilege. It's kind of a privilege. It's kind of a special place to be. And I think he can prevail, but it will take each and every one of us doing it. We can't just sit back and watch him, um, you know, incur all the risk and pay the price uh, for us. I think we have to, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still thinking of other ways. I know my list sounds a little bit lame, right? Write letters, social media, you know, I used to be able to say you can protest, but everybody got nervous after January 6th, and I understand that. If we do protest, of course, we got to do it peacefully. we got to obey all laws. Every now and then, I get a little bit worried about Curtis, all right? I see the people, you know, and he's getting into a rumble here, there, and everywhere and getting arrested. Curtis knows how to do that. The rest of us don't, all right? We can't. I don't want to get in any rumbles. I don't want any of us getting in any rumbles, but... Uh, if these guys are out there, can't we at least write a letter? Can't we at least say something on social media without fear of uh, what some neighbor or boss might say? Uh, I think we can, and I think we should. All right, do me a favor. We will be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Eh, am I hallucinating or what, Spicoli? New York police will use drones, drones to monitor backyard parties this weekend. Huh? Associated Press. Those attending outdoor parties or barbecues in New York City this weekend may notice an uninvited guest looming over their festivities. A police surveillance drone. The New York City Police Department plans to pilot the unmanned aircrafts in response to complaints about large gatherings, including private events, over Labor Day weekend. If a caller states there's a loud crowd, large crowd, a large party in a backyard, we're going to be utilizing our assets to go up and check out the party, says Kaz Daughtry, assistant NYPD commissioner. Huh? Uh, the plan drew immediate backlash. Yeah, understandably so. You know, <laughs> I'm basically a libertarian, all right? I'm, I'm for tough policing. I think you can have tough policing without uh, the state watching your backyard party, all right? If something gets out of hand, people know how to call the cops. Are you serious here? Uh, this is ludicrous. Now, then again, all right, I mean, that's my gut impression so far. Uh, I've never been a cop. I was a Marine Corps officer. I uh, carried a gun for a, in the Marine Corps, but not as a cop. But I think this is uh, insane and stupid, which means Eric Adams uh, <laughs> it has his fingerprints all over it, all over it. 
Now, they're going to be monitoring your backyard party. And this, oh, by the way, is for the folks in Brooklyn. I think this is tied to the West Indian Day Parade, which can see a lot of mayhem uh, still. Uh, how about the culture that the left has created? You know, legalized shoplifting, legalized shoplifting, backyard party under NYPD surveillance. I don't see, you see the problem there? You see the problem? I remember once I talked to a, a New York City Council woman who came on back, it was the Good Day New York Days, and she came on proudly to announce that she was doing something to counteract stop and frisk and systemic racism in law enforcement, right? And um, at the same time, there was this great big garbage transfer station that they were building on the east side. I said, just for, uh, just for my understanding, how many people, how many constituents of yours have complained about systemic racism in the police department? And I'll give her this. She was honest. She said zero. I said, how many people have complained about the garbage transfer station? Everybody. Okay, but you're doing this about the police department and nothing about the garbage station, which is there right now. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You want to know how I learned about the housekeepers? I walked out of the bedroom naked. That's right. I said it naked. And that's when I met the housekeepers. One of which was a guy. So I think he learned his lesson. Stupid. How dopey. That's the uh, Kelly Ripa and what's his name? Mark or something? Her husband who just sits there looking at her all the time. Uh, her dopey stories that mean nothing and then they bring in a celebrity and then they fawn all over that person. Uh, that show is such a waste of time. Regis. Rest in peace. Regis and Kathy Lee. This goofball. Nothing. And then the New York Post. The New York Post writes up these stories. You know, the New York Post, greatest newspaper in the world, except when it's being idiotic. And they got this dopey picture of uh, Kelly Ripa literally, like, sticking her rear end out, right? She's wearing a bathing suit, and she's got her rear end all hiked up. And uh, her husband, um, I, it's her husband, right, uh, is, like, staring at her rear end as if he's a 14-year-old boy. It's just the dopiest thing. And there they are. And how much money do they get paid? I mean, like, and you got to have a little bit, something to offer. I mean, it's one, and I don't believe that dumb story either. Male housekeeper. <laughs> In addition to the other um, uh, shortcomings and uh, weirdness. I, I, don't, I don't believe it. I think, uh, hey, uh, James Flippin, are you there? Hey, what's up, Greg? Yes, I am. Uh, you watch that Kelly Ripa show? Uh, no, I do not. But I can tell you that her salary is apparently $22 million a year. Well, a lot of that stuff is phony baloney on the internet. Uh, although that is in the range. You don't, you know, you don't know what, you know, they're, they're, those, those things we can't trust it. I mean, where are you getting that from? Google. <laughs> well, Google brought you where? Uh, I don't know. Some website. What's the website? Come called. on. What trusted source of news did you use, James? Let's see. Uh, some dot org 
scpsassam.org. Well, how the hell are they going to know that when you think about it? Really? How are they going <laughs> to know, know about it? I, I mean, is Kelly Ripa, you know, every Sometimes now and then. Sometimes that's public record, you know, the, the uh, contract. Not real. I mean, no, no, you keep those contracts. You can't find those contracts online. In now, the world some, of sports, it's, it's public usually. Uh, Movie stars sometimes. It's a lot of fake news. Now, every now and then you'll have some agent and the, Matt Lauer's agent and Matt Lauer, one of the best broadcasters who ever lived. He's got a lot of talent. You know, he really does. I mean, I, but his agent one year put on his own website that he got Matt Lauer like $25 million a year. And that was almost the beginning of the end for Matt Lauer at the TV mm. show because the people, especially on morning TV, they don't, they don't think it's that hard. It is hard, but they don't think it's that hard. And the moment you start making that kind of money, it's like, screw that guy. You know, it is. It's like you, you, the audience turns on you a little bit. Um, anyway, James, uh, so what's going on? Tell me. Update us. Well, uh, I don't know if you know about this one, but there's actually a escaped murderer, a convicted murderer, who's gotten away from the Chester County prison in Pennsylvania, which is about 40 miles m- west of Philadelphia. And by the way, I heard you talking about Kensington, Philadelphia. Yes, that very much is the hood. Yeah, Vivek, who I like, just keeps talking about it like we all know that. We don't know that. Yeah, uh, we do. Kensington's in the hood. But you know, in terms like, of yeah. where this escaped prisoner is, they don't know, but they're looking for him all over Pennsylvania right now. How did he get out? They're not releasing that information. They're not releasing that information. He's already out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, am- the last time we had an escaped uh, inmate in Pennsylvania, they, they made it clear that the guy used like a ladder to get up to some kind of crawl space or something like that. They have not announced what this guy well, they went through did. the sewer. They went through the sewer like Shawshank Redemption style. I remember David Sweat and Richard Matt. And I think one of those guys got killed. Uh, I think it was David Sweat is still alive in jail forever. I uh, got killed. And, I mean, I know they were bad dudes and all, but let's face it. I mean, just a little bit. A little bit. Like, it's fascinating to watch. And just a little bit. Like, a teeny tiny part. I'm talking about one-tenth of one-eighth of one percent. You're kind of rooting for the guy. Yeah, well, there's certainly some um, fascination. I think you're right in terms of just the ability to escape custody and all that kind of stuff. You're going back even further than I am, by the way. I'm talking about this guy, Michael Burham, who got away sometime in July. I think huh? it was. Who? What? When? What? I don't know anything about yeah. it. What? That was a survivalist, they said, and he survived in the woods for a while, but then eventually some somebody found him in, this, in their backyard. Well, the dumb thing that these guys did, Matt Rich and David Sweat, and I think it was Rich, you know what he did? You know what he did? They broke into little cottages up there in the Adirondack Mountains, and mm-hmm. you know what this guy did? He drank. He, <laughs> one thing you want to be is alert and uh, with it when you're on the run, when you're a fugitive, and he, he, he couldn't stop drinking. Um, you know, he'd break into the, you know, the liquor cabinet in these cabins. That's a mistake. Uh, just... Keep that in mind, anybody, if you ever find yourself in prison and planning an escape. Um, what else? Uh, there was a helico- a fatal helicopter crash in New Jersey yesterday. I know you're a pilot, so that might be of interest to you. A gentleman from Israel who actually crashed in uh, New Jersey, New Brunswick, I think it was. When you say gentleman from Israel, he was the pilot? Yeah, it was only a, he was the only guy on board, was the pilot. Was, and- you know what kind of helicopter it was? Was it an R-22? Uh, that's a good question. I, I'd have to look it up and see if they actually have disclosed. I'm sure somebody's disclosed what kind of helicopter. Uh, I don't know if it was an R-22. I'm just wondering. That's one. That's a recreational helicopter. Yikes. That's uh, yikes. Uh, where did he crash again? It was a Robinson R-22, by the way. Yeah. How about that? I just knew it. Is that impressive or what? That was South Brunswick. Very what? impressive. 
South Brunswick. Mm, all right. So if you're a private pilot and you are, you mentioned that I only figure that out because you, we already know where he's from. And to me, that suggests that he wasn't a professional pilot, mm. not where he was from, just quite frankly, that that detail was ready and there was a pilot by himself. So we would have had more information if it was like a traffic helicopter or right. an emergency service helicopter. So the way you framed it, I, I assumed it was a private uh, pilot in a privately owned helicopter. And that is a commonly, not commonly, but anyway, that's one of the more popular. Well, ones. I have a question for you about that, actually, because, you know, as someone who is not familiar with aviation and stuff like that, it feels like helicopters are really dangerous just like kind of like not, not as safe as as planes is that fair or not really i don't know if i would say that i think i don't know if i would actually say that i'd have to look at the numbers the mishap rates and that kind of thing i mean look like at least a plane could gr- could glide down right well there are things that no a helicopter has something called auto rotation and you can there are ways you can if you lose an engine you can still safely land mm. Um, it's more expensive to operate a helicopter and it's more complex. So anything that's complex is potentially, you know, more prone to pilot error. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I feel bad for the pilot. I, uh, I love aviation. I love aviators. You know what I mean? It's an amazing thing, uh, to fly. And, uh, curiously, um, anyway, I don't know. I mean, People, uh, it's not a, it's not an industry that people like really talk about much. You ever notice that there aren't, you know, no one really ever talks about aviation and wanting to be a pilot. You never mm. meet them. I don't know why that is. Well, I mean, there's a be- shortage apparently. Uh, they say a lot of the pilots that were, you know, Vietnam military pilots became the commercial fleet around the U.S. and many of them are retiring now. Yeah, like Sully. Miracle on the Hudson. He mm-hmm. was a Vietnam guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly because the word got out. Well, it used to be very, very, very well paying. And there are certain guys who still make decent money, good money, uh, but a lot of guys don't, and maybe that's part of it. And let's face it, since everybody flies now, it's lost some of its glamour. You know, it's mm-hmm. lost. Its, I mean, remember you used to get dressed up to go on a plane? Maybe you don't, James. I remember the days when you got dressed up. It was a huge treat to get on a plane. And, like, I mean, I remember as a kid, the idea of going to the Olympics, right, Half of it was, wow, you get to go on a plane. <laughs> I mean, it's like you get to go on a plane somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anything else I should know? Uh, let's see. An appeals court is rejecting an effort by the DOJ to block deposition from former President Trump in a lawsuit brought against the FBI. Former agents Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, you know, they're suing the Bureau for wrongful termination and invasion Wait, of did privacy. did they win or lose? That's a lot of – did they win or did they lose? It's still ongoing, but in essence, uh, the DOJ wanted to block – deposition from Donald Trump, and an appeals court is rejecting that effort. Yeah, I think actually Donald Trump has something to say, and he should. I think, or they probably want to, I don't know, I they want to depose it. I can't stand Strzok and Page, two corrupt uh, lovebirds. They went out, I mean, these guys sabotaged the 2016 election, tried to, and then they came up with the phony Russia collusion stuff. Peter Strzok. You know, we follow each other on Twitter, and then I made fun of him, and he blocked me like in a heartbeat. That guy is on Twitter all day long, and he can't take it. You know, he can plot to take out a president, but he can't take a little criticism on social media. He is the worst. And, oh, by the way, when he's on MSNBC, you know what's hanging behind him? Secret documents. Secret documents are right behind him. He put secret documents. He took secret documents home. I nailed him for that, too. Um, Wait, let's go back to the... Guy who's uh, missing uh, or who ran away from jail, the mm-hmm. escapee. Mm-hmm. 
What's his name again? Uh, Danilo Cavalcante. How old is he? I'm not sure if I have his age, actually. Some, obviously, it's out there, but let me see if I have And he killed somebody? Yeah, he's a convicted murderer. Is he white, black, Hispanic, Asian, what? Brazilian. All right, I want all this in case I see him. Um, where else do we know? Uh, hmm, this is fascinating. Is it? Uh, he's considered extremely dangerous. He's 34 years old, which is wow. Man, uh, so was the other guy who broke out this summer. They uh, must have something on how the hell he got out of jail. They must be leaking something. Well, I'm looking. They're conducting a citywide, a countywide search. Detectives are conducting interviews to find out what happened. I don't know. They're not saying why. They're not saying how he got out. I wonder if he made a dummy of himself. You know what I mean? Like in Escape from Alcatraz, which is still one of the greatest movies ever with Clint Eastwood. Uh, just a, a, a great, great movie. I saw that cell where they where that supposedly happened. I've been there to Alcatraz. You went as a tourist? Yeah. Wow. On your honeymoon? Uh, no, it was actually before we were married, but it was right before COVID, as a matter of fact. They, they closed wine country the day after we left. And it's freezing cold over there, right? Yeah, I mean, it was, at the time, it was, I guess it was, what, March? Yeah, that makes sense, March. So it was, like, seasonably warm, you know, because it never really gets that cold there in San Francisco. Well, it never gets that warm either. Mark right. Twain said the coldest winter he ever experienced was a summer in San Francisco. <laughs> it's a good Quite line. A it's a good line. All right, all right. So the thing that's got my Irish up is the uh, police department. Uh, setting drones flying over uh, backyard barbecues in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, kind of dystopian, no? Dystopian. Dystopian. As opposed to utopian. It's not the kind of word I use, but uh, dystopian. That would mean like a futuristic authoritarian surveillance state. Dystopian. Right. Like the, the, you could just see the drone swooping in, like saying, halt, stop. You, you, know? you know, the other day I was reading an article earlier. The guy said sanguine. Sanguine. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know why these words are used. That I mean, dystopian's a little more ubiquitous than sanguine. No? There you go again, ubiquitous. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Stop saying that stuff. All right, there was something else. Um, I uh, Do me a favor, stand by. Uh, Brian Kemp, you know, he has no guts. He's the governor of Georgia, just a career politician. He sounds like a good old boy, but he's not. Now, do me a favor. we got two Brian Kemp cuts at the top of the page there. Play the second one. Now, the question is, um, number one, why don't you guys do something about Fannie Willis, right, the crazy DA who's indicted Trump? And he says, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. No, we're not doing that. And then listen to this. He's such a wussy. He's trying to make it that if you raise questions about Fannie, and you indict President Trump, we're going to raise questions, and we're going to get angry, and we're going to say stuff, and we're going to ask our legislators to do stuff. But you know what they like to say? Ooh, the heightened language, it's, it's, it's threatening. And no one, no one should be threatening anybody, and that's already against the law. But look at this question, and look at his little mealy, little weep, weak answer. And they're trying to, they're trying to stigmatize MAGA. Go ahead with that second cut. Governor, uh, I've talked to at least five Republican state senators who have directly gotten threats because of what you just mentioned, because of all the inflamed rhetoric. Uh, are you worried about that? What is your message directly to Colton Moore and others who are, who are uh, inflaming those tensions? Well, look, I, I know full well about threats. You know, my family and I have been dealing with that for over the last three years. Uh, so I understand how a lot of the legislators are feeling right now. Uh, it is wrong. 
It is unnecessary. And in the state of Georgia, where we have people that are making threats against our citizens, whether they're elected officials or not, we take that very seriously, and, and we will act on that. I've instructed Director Hosey and the rest of our law enforcement community to work with the General Assembly uh, to do just that. Well, now what's the problem there, right? Because I don't think anybody should be threatened. But the problem is that what that reporter said and what he's going along with is just raising questions about Fannie Willis, right? Calling for an investigation of Fannie Willis has led to the threats, right? I mean, you do anything, some nut job is going to, is going to do, is going to, is going to make a phone call. All right. This happens all the time. It's been happening throughout history. I showed the other day in the, the, the 2000 election, you know, more than a dozen years before Donald Trump showed up on the political scene. Remember how tight that election was? All those officials, all those officials were getting death threats. And most death threats are just basically obscene phone callers. I asked Rudy Giuliani the other day, who's gotten hundreds of those kinds of threats. You know, from, he was, the guy was in government in the, in the mid seventies. How many, how many death threats did he get? He got hundreds. How many did he have to take seriously? And you consider that he was indicting mobsters. He sent mobsters to jail in his entire career. Ten. He had to take ten seriously. But you didn't hear him bitch and moan and cry about it and try to stifle free speech because he got a nasty phone call. Anyway. All right. Flippin? Yes, sir. It's been real. Always good to be on with you. All right. Uh, folks, your phone calls when I come back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Right, and we're back. Bill from Rockland County. Hello, Bill. Bill? Listen, you, you listen, hello. You were talking about Westchester County Airport. And that's a little secret, man. Don't let them lose out, all right? Text <laughs> me on yeah. Where are you? You're from the city, right? Yeah, well, I grew up in Long Island. Well, I live should, in the city now. Oh, you should go to LaGuardia, then, okay? All right. <laughs> hey, listen, I like the vague. That guy's nice. He's a good guy, right? Yeah, he's a great guy. I like him, too. I like him, too. Hey, uh, Westchester County is kind of far, but it's much smaller, and, you know, you're from the curb to the plane in, like, 10 feet, it feels like. Uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, Tony in White Plains. Yeah, hi, Greg. Uh, this, is, this isn't why I called, but I, when I was on the phone, I heard you talking about the guy that escaped in uh, Chester. Who? They, in Chester. Oh, the guy, yeah, the escape murderer. Maybe they should look at a barn area because it's right next door to the racetrack. I know because I, I race there, but that's not why. You, I you think he's in the barn? Well, I mean, there's a there's a racetrack right next door. It's almost connected to the. Why the hell would he go to the barn? I don't have no idea, but I'm I just get saying. the hell out of town quick. You know, uh, I had a warden tell me once, and he was uh, in charge of a prison when somebody got escaped, and he said the prisoners are very very good at planning the breakout, but they're very, very bad at planning what comes next. And 99.9% of the time, they always grab them, usually like a half mile away at some gas station. We'll see what happens. All right, all right. If anybody's listening, check the barn at the racetrack right next to the prison. Uh, Bill in New York City. Bill, another Bill. Okay. Hello? Just Kelly. You got all nervous and, uh, and, okay. Mike in St. James. Hello, Greg. Uh, for the migrants in New York City to be allowed to work, wouldn't that take an act of Congress? Uh, unfortunately, no, it wouldn't. Uh, they can hand out work permits like that, just like that, just like that. 
Um, and it'd be horrible. I mean, <laughs> I, I it just the whole damn thing is incredibly uh, so tragic. But no, it would not take an act of Congress. Uh, they could just uh, they could just let them work. Believe it or not, they have that kind of power. Hochul and uh, and silly Eric Adams, Chris, Long Island. Hello. Hey, Greg. Yeah, about Kensington. Um, that's uh, that's definitely the hood times ten. But uh, there's lots of YouTube videos of the Kensington district. Yeah, with all the drug addicts. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's so. That's Kensington, huh? Yeah, yeah. I just I watch those videos a lot for some reason. What? And I watch those videos a lot for some reason, and I go through a range of emotions. First, anger, and then sadness. You know, and then asking why, how, and why is that happening right there? So yeah, we're go. talking about these people. They they look like zombies, literally. Uh, the Walking Dead, and they're all strung out on fentanyl. It's a total crisis. Uh, our society is in a free fall. And uh, we're sending billions and billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, and we're letting all this fentanyl in the country. Uh, it's like somebody wants to destroy America almost. So Kensington. Oh, by the way, I think Kensington is the neighborhood where Rocky, you know, Rocky Balboa went to the gym, right? The big stairways up there around that neighborhood, I think. No, no, sure. no, no, no. The gym. The gym. That's south. The gym. Oh, the actual gym. No, yeah. no, that's a different yeah. part. The museum is in a different part of Philly. The other part where the drug addicts are, that's Kensington, and that's where Rocky... That's where Rocky lived, right? I think I believe so. I mean, School Street, Street, if I'm movie? not mistaken. All right, thank you, pal. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, Gail. Hi, Greg. You know, I was thinking about uh, Zuckerberg, one of the founding students of Facebook, huh. and if he's going to add uh, any drop boxes as a suburban tax-paying grandmother and mother, I think. How about gas stations, supermarkets? Gas stations and supermarkets. I like that uh, face crook. See you later. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.